Welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 23rd of February with me in Welsh. Coming up is a recent conversation I had with Pilar Cruz, Chief Sustainability Officer at Cargill. We talked about the role of big business in driving the climate change mitigation and adaptation agenda and the signs that we are moving into a time of widespread corporate accountability on these. It's worth a listen. First though is some sustainable business news. The issue of illegal recruitment fees has been one of the key challenges to be overcome when tackling labour rights violations across industry. And not least for seafarers, according to a new report from the Institute for Human Rights and Business and the Sustainable Shipping Initiative, reviewing the challenges facing those who work at sea and the shipping industry's efforts to address them. Among the report's conclusions is that illegal recruitment fees and working conditions more generally continue to negatively impact the lives and well-being of seafarers to the extent that the way of life is increasingly unattractive. Recruitment and retention of the next generation is a real concern for the sector. The report finds that this raises questions about shipping's viability and sustainability. However, there is some progress. Leading shipping companies are working on initiatives to enhance seafarer welfare. The Institute for Human Rights and Business and the Sustainable Shipping Initiative have collaborated on the Right Ship Crew Welfare Self-Assessment Tool, which helps sector companies monitor and improve standards, with an emphasis on continually evaluating and advancing the conditions and treatment of workers at sea. Recycling of plastics doesn't work effectively, and the plastic sector has known that for decades. That is the conclusion of a new report from the Centre for Climate Integrity titled The Fraud of Plastic Recycling. It describes what it calls a decades-long campaign of fraud and deception from the petrochemical sector promoting recycling as a solution to plastic pollution. The report argues that recycling cannot be considered as a permanent waste solution as recycled plastic will never be able to compete economically and in terms of quality with virgin material. The CCI accuses the plastic sector of publicising recycling as the solution to littering problems to avoid bad public relations and in the face of potential tightening regulations since the 1980s. The group says it has uncovered concerns from representatives inside the plastic industry arguing that recycling was energy intensive, impractical for many materials and ultimately too expensive to be competitive. While recycling rates have improved, of course, most plastic waste still is incinerated or sent to landfill. At the same time, plastic production has grown almost 230 times since the 1950s, some data suggests, and estimated to be driving half of the growth in demand for oil between 2017 and 2050. Plastic sector representatives have criticised the report, saying that it is unhelpful and mischaracterises the industry's initiatives. And while new advanced or chemical recycling technology may provide solutions, certainly there is a massive challenge to address. How much biodiversity loss impacts food reproduction potential is a question being asked by researchers at Wachenen Economic Research, who are trying to put a price on this to enable comparison with the green measures that could preserve and be beneficial for biodiversity. This is very complex, with a number of initial challenges, researchers say. There is a lack of specific indicators that measure biodiversity. There are always local factors that can have significant impact, and the links between different parts of supply chains are hard to measure. A new report from Wachenen Economic Research highlights three categories of risk. Material risks from direct costs, such as from a failed harvest. Transitional risks, as, for example, consumer preference shifts towards biodiversity-friendly products, reducing demand for less positive products. Regulation could have an impact here, of course. And systemic risk from entire ecosystem collapse, which could be the most serious. As an example of how the research is monetizing these risks, researchers investigated the impact of pollinating insects in the Netherlands. Collapse of pollinating insect numbers would, they say, result in an annual loss to the country's agriculture sector of 1.4 billion euros, with a greater economic impact more broadly. 
Food for thought indeed. Next up is an interview I had recently with Pilar Cruz, Chief Sustainability Officer at international food business Cargill. So we're going to be reflecting a little bit on some of the events of the end of 2023 and looking forward to what's coming up over 2024. It's a little while now since the COP meetings in Dubai, but with the benefits of a few weeks of reflection, how do you view the outcomes from COP28? Yeah, and I really want to start in the context of what is going on in the world today. We know that climate events are really impacting global communities. Think about floods, drought conditions, extreme weather events, which are impacting the world today. In addition to that, we know that we are dealing with geopolitical challenges, conflict, violence, and labor disruptions, which are impacting both the food and agriculture systems. And when you think about it, these are very difficult challenges and very hard for any company alone to tackle. When I think about COP28, we had an amazing week, highly engaged. We met with customers, governments, NGOs, local community organizations. And I believe that we are excited, engaged, and optimistic with the key themes that we heard during COP. First and foremost, I can tell you that meaningful progress was made. Both the private and public sectors continue to work actively, engaging and thinking about these challenges, but also thinking about collaborating and working together, which perhaps is a new theme from what we heard a few years ago. I would also say that we are moving away from ideas and initiatives and more thinking about action, outcome, and impact. I would say this COP also underscored our belief that partnership, collaboration, and alliances are a must. We believe that operating in silos as it relates to climate change is definitely not productive. We have seen examples of effective collaboration, not only within industry players, but also governments and local communities and NGOs who are coming together at the table thinking about tackling these climate change, geopolitical issues, and the need for us to continue to decarbonize the food and agriculture sectors. So to me, that was a big change and noticeable change and an improvement from previous COPs. Policies, I think, is an important element from any COP. And this one in particular, I think we heard three specific themes. One was a move away from fossil fuels. The second one is to increase renewable energy capacity around the world, and also very critically important for Cargill, reducing methane emissions, which is encouraging, especially knowing what is going on with greenhouse gases and methane emissions around the world. But to me, the more specific takeaway, I would actually summarize it as the three A's, which are ambition, action, and accountability. Not only we believe at Cargill that it's important to set a high level of ambition, but also to consider action and accountability, which is important for us to make progress. And really quickly, I'll just give you our take on these three A's. So from an ambition perspective, and I want to start with our company's purpose, which is to increase food security. And for context, I just want everybody to understand the criticality of what is happening with the growing population around the world. By 2050, the world is going to have two additional billion people that we have to feed. 
and put it in perspective by 2030, which is not far away from today, the world is going to have 500 million people that we have to feed. So the question that we think about every single day is how do we feed this increasing population within planetary boundaries, protecting natural resources, and making sure that we protect and empower the local communities along the way. So our company's ambition is to deliver the most sustainable supply chains in the world. We recognize that this requires bold action, which is what we recently announced our commitment to accelerate our work to protect South America's natural ecosystem by eliminating deforestation and conversion from our direct and indirect supply chain in Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay by 2025. So an excellent example of the first A, which for us is ambition. The second A is action. So we know that agriculture is responsible for about 26% of the greenhouse gas emissions in the world. And keeping in mind these 500 million people additional that we have to feed by 2030, again, the question is how do we increase food security? How do we increase food production while at the same time we protect the planet? Considering the relevant work we do in food and agriculture, our work begins with the farmers, which is where the food system begins. Because we know at the end of the day, they are responsible for protecting the soil, protecting the land, and increasing productivity in a more sustainable way. So we do that through Regenerative Ag. It's one of the ways for us to support the farmers to improve, to improve soil health and resiliency in a way that productivity and yields are higher at the farm level. And then we can all together see an increase in uh, food security. Our company has made a commitment to promote the adoption of regenerative agricultural practices in North America in around 10 million acres, which is great. But here today to talk about action, we have advanced regenerative agricultural practices in about 880,000 acres in North America, which is great. And lastly, I'm gonna talk about the third A, which is accountability. So we are committed as a company to report progress against our targets, our goals, and our commitments. We believe in the importance of transparency, traceability, and we also know that what gets measured gets improved. Therefore, we published last year our second global ESG report, which provides clarity around the metrics that we measure, the progress we have made, obviously the areas where we feel that we are making significant progress, but equally important, some of the challenges that we have faced and our commitment to continue reporting progress, to providing more transparency and visibility in terms of our ESG performance. So again, excited, optimistic, and I think the next COP is going to be equally important as we think about COP30 in Brazil. And you talked about collaboration. What do you think is driving the moves we're seeing towards greater collaboration? It just feels that there's an acceptance that it's the, really the way to go now. Countries, private sector and the public sector have understood that the issues that we are dealing with today are significant. And there's no company, no individual industry or sector that can fix these issues alone. So we have started to foster alliances, partnerships and collaboration because we have seen that that actually works. We have seen the impact of partnering with, again, some of our industry players in a pre-competitive way. 
but also with governments and NGOs to advance our commitment to decarbonize the food and agriculture sectors. And I can tell you that one of the areas that makes me more proud is the commitment that we announced last year to eliminate deforestation and conversion from our row crops sourcing from Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay by 2025. We actually partnered with the World Resources Institute, a highly credible organization that is going to help us with transparency, traceability, and monitoring of our supply chains, but also local communities and local governments as we think about farmer incentives that we need to deploy and implement in our supply chains to advance sustainability in a more impactful way. So certainly we believe in partnerships. We believe in leveraging our company's talent expertise and capabilities with others who can help us in more proactively advancing sustainable practices around the world. You mentioned just now looking forward to the COP meetings coming up at the end of this year and then through next year to COP30, which is in Brazil. It seems to be the one that everyone's focusing on. How do you want to see efforts focused this year and next through to the COP30 meetings in Brazil? More specifically, I would say action, outcomes, and investments. It is encouraging to see that companies are declaring aggressive goals, but it's also important to see collaboration and investments that will allow us to produce food in a more sustainable way. Let me give you a couple of statistics that I think are important. So of the Fortune 100 companies, 43% have set SBTI goals. But of those companies without science-based targets, the majority are in industries in early phases or stages of thinking about setting targets. And I think that is encouraging. I think you will see a higher number of companies with science-based goals set up, but also more companies adhering to disclosure and reporting from an ESG perspective, what are the metrics where they feel they are advancing, but also some of the challenges where they feel that it is holding them back. What's the role then, do you think, of a company like Cargill when it comes to tackling climate action? Going back to our company's purpose, which is food security, moving food from places where it is produced to places where it's needed and supporting local communities along the way, I would say the role of our company is to be a connector. We have the expertise, the connections across the supply chains, the talent to deliver end-to-end sustainable solutions from farm to fork. Agriculture plays an important role in addressing the global challenges that we are dealing with at the moment, but that is only possible when sustainable solutions are economically viable for the farmers and support the local communities. We believe in bringing farmers together, industry, academics, NGOs, policymakers to think about the barriers that are holding us back. Incentivizing farmers is going to be key to find sustainable solutions that will remain over time. With an increased number of people coming to the world, we need to keep pace with the global population that is increasing, but at the same time, transportation and delivering food in a more sustainable way. From an ocean transportation perspective, our teams have been able to do something that we were told it was not gonna be possible which is the solution that our ocean transportation team brought to the table by using uh, wind power to move some of our vessels from China into Brazil. And this is what we call wind wings in partnership with Yara, Mitsubishi Corporation and Bar Technologies. So when you think about the level of ambition, that is the kind of solution and that is the role that we can play. 
partner with companies outside of our industries, develop solutions that probably were not possible in the world, and changing the rules of the game, both in food, agriculture, but also transportation. Undoubtedly, big businesses like yours have that innate scale that doesn't mean that challenges can be addressed. Everyone has been talking recently about the importance of traceability and transparency. What evidence are you seeing that companies are taking these issues seriously now? I mean, especially driven by regulation these days, when you think about the European Green Deal as an example, and the Corporate Sustainability Reporting directing companies, both private sector, NGOs are really thinking about transparency in a more proactive way. And that is the way we think about it at Cargill. So transparency is super important for our company. And I would say, generally speaking, for our customers, suppliers, and the partners that we have throughout our value chain. We're leveraging technology to provide more visibility in terms of our supply chains. And I think it's important, Ian, to consider that it's not only driven by regulation, but also customers or consumers are demanding more transparency. The consumer of today is asking more questions about where their food is coming from. And also, how do companies like Cargill treat stakeholders throughout the value chain that participated in the process of manufacturing a chocolate bar or a chicken nugget or a hamburger? And this is why within our company, we continue to make investments in transparency and traceability. One example that I think is super critical is a digital tool called Track, which we have made an investment in along with industry peers. The simple way to think about Tract, it is a one-stop shop for sustainability data and insights into the food and agriculture industry. Tract actually gives our customers and consumers more transparency around cross-commodity supplier data using common methodologies, because that's probably one of the challenges that we are dealing with today, the different frameworks and the methodologies that are used to measure data. But this is a common methodology that, again, allows the industry and allows our customers to have a more consistent way to think about the data in the supply chain. So when you combine a solution like Tract with some of the digital platforms that we have introduced in our supply chains, so think about the cocoa supply chain where we have a solution that allows us to gather data from the farm in terms of the geolocation of the farm the productivity of the farm, the state as it relates to land use and human rights, I think it is a game changer. And it allows us to not only substantiate our efforts, but also detect when we have opportunities to improve, when we have opportunities to make investments, to again, achieve our ESG goals, to do what is right for the planet, and to ultimately increase food security. What else should we be looking out for in 2024 in terms of corporate action on the big business sustainability issues? Investments that not only come from individual companies, thinking about climate solutions in isolation, individual companies believing that they can fix the issues is probably not the right approach. It is not productive. It doesn't allow us to drive improvements at scale. Alliances, collaboration, partnerships cross industries within industry peers in a pre-competitive way is absolutely relevant. So I'd like to see a lot more collaboration, a lot more examples of how this is possible, of how we can effectively collaborate with different sectors and entities to help us decarbonize the world in a more proactive way. 
So if those are things you are hoping to see, if we were to have this conversation again in 12 months, what do you think your reflections on 2024 will be? Geopolitical issues are here in front of us. Climate change is not getting any easier. If I think about 12 months from today, I would like to say that we have moved the needle. I would like to say that we continue to see improvements in terms of the role that Cargill plays as a connector within the food and agriculture sectors from farm to fork. I would like to say that we have been able to convene the right stakeholders that are making a difference. And I also would like to say that we feel optimistic and energized about the future because we have seen collective action, both private sectors and public sectors are working together towards advancing for a more sustainable planet. Let's hope you're right. Pilar Cruz, Chief Sustainability Officer at Cargill, thank you very much indeed. I appreciate you having me today, Ian, and I look forward to connecting with you soon. The Innovation Forum website is, as ever, the place to go for all the latest analysis and interviews and all the details about our upcoming Spring Conference series and how to join us. We'll be back with the weekly briefing on Monday, but that's it for now. I've been Ian Welsh, and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.